couple of Hay Roots groups. I know Susie's group um, is on week 20. A couple of y'all are behind a little bit just due to scheduling, but if all of y'all are listening to this, that great. that's great. If it's just Susie's group, that's great too. Um, we're just kind of being a little flexible this week. I am in North Carolina, literally just looking out at the beach right now um, for my birthday weekend. And I've got my Bible open and just um, pulling out some nuggets from Psalm 119, 153 through 160 this week in Roots. And um, I'm going to give y'all a little bit more in-depth information through this voice text. We don't have the ability to do a podcast currently course when I get home I'll, I'll be able to do one and go ahead and do the notes like I normally do for all of our leaders within Dropbox but this week will just be uh, a voice memo a little bit more interactive uh, with me and y'all and um, as your leader listens to this and as y'all listen to this together I'm actually going to prompt you when to pause it and um, listen to a song or read a couple passages and then just come back and hit play again, um, handle it however you'd like to. But um, thank you all for being flexible with us as we're traveling with Lighthouse and uh, birthdays going on. But what a privilege it is. I can't tell you how to just describe the beautiful gift of studying the scripture, listening to the waves crash on the ocean or on the sand and just being reminded that he is the beginning of all things and the waves worship him and the sky screams out who he is and it's just um, incredibly humbling to, to hold the written word of God in my hands at this very moment and yet to see just the majesty of creation that obviously testifies to the living power of God's word and Jesus and his created ability and um, just all that he does and all that he is and the fact that he would know the grains, the grains on the sand and be able to count them and yet his thoughts about us are countless and it's just humbling. So I have loved just getting to spend time with him this morning. It's Sunday actually um, here and I um, just spent time in his presence and all day and just felt him near me. So um, I actually just want to kind of read this. Y'all know we're in Psalm 119, verses 153 through 160 this week. But what I want to do is just somewhat paraphrase it for you based on the Hebrew definitions of some key words that are in this passage. And many of y'all have asked what, what Bible I use to study. And I've highly recommended to multiple people the key word Hebrew and Greek study Bible. And that's a lot of where these definitions come from. It basically has a Strong's Concordance in the back of the scripture, um, which is a very well-accepted, prominent um, word definition concordance. And it's literally in the back of this Bible. So the words I'm pulling out and and defining, I'm using uh, the key word scripture to do that and would highly recommend this as a study Bible for you if you're looking at getting a new one. Um, But the words I want to pull out are look, rescue, plead, cause, redeem, and revive. And obviously there's, you know, a whole theme within this passage as we've seen with every section of scripture, but um, these just pop out. And in in my word, they are underlined with a number that corresponds to a definition. And so I I kind of want y'all to read this out loud as a group. 
I want you to, to literally just read Psalm 119, 153 through 160 right now. Go ahead and put me on pause, and then we'll come back together. So after y'all have read that, Psalm 153 through 160, I want you to hear it using the actual Hebrew definitions of those words that I listed out. If you haven't written those down, I would write those down. Look, rescue, plead, cause, redeem, revive. And there's actually one more, and it's sum, S-U-M, right there at the very end in verse 160. So the idea here, and I'm just kind of go with me because I don't have my computer in front of me. I've got my journal and it's a bunch of just, you know, written chicken scratch with my pen. So, um, but the idea here is, you know, see inside my pain and draw me out from it. Look upon my affliction and rescue me. See inside so as to learn the depths of my pain Perceive, be in tune with, Lord. Dedicate and devote your attention to my afflictions, my hurts, my wounds, my pains. And not only would you see them, God, but would you deliver me out of them and would you use them to equip me for war? Would you use them to strengthen me and fortify me, loosening me from things that I don't need to be tied up with in order that I might be clinging to you. This is the idea of look and rescue. See inside. See so as to learn and know my, my affliction. Perceive. Be in tune with. In order that you might not just leave me there that you might rescue me and draw me out and use this to prepare me and equip me for what is ahead, which a lot of times feels like war. What a powerful prayer that is of David. Have you been in that place where you have asked God, would you see me? Do you see me? Do you see inside of me in order that you might work on the outside of me and in my life and in my circumstances and in the the affliction, whatever it is, whether it's internal or external. I love the idea here is that it's it's not just a notice and that God just turns his head in our direction. It's that he is tuned in. He is looking in in order that he might look through and step into and dedicate and devote his attention to our cries, our afflictions. Um, and of course, David is very familiar with afflictions and being persecuted and run after and chased, you know, chased down for his life. And um, he obviously talks about that even a little deeper here, about his persecutors and his adversaries coming after him. So he's familiar with affliction, and maybe you are too. And I would encourage you to pray that way. Pray those verbs. Pray the word look with that definition in mind. Not just, God, do you, do you see me, generically? You know, God died for the whole sins of the world, and He's aware of you. Ladies, it's more than that. He's not just aware of you. He is in tune with you. How, how comforting, how intimate is that? And then He's not just in tune with you, just to be deeply acquainted with your ways, which actually a verse says that in Psalms. 
that he is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. He knows when we rise. He knows when we sit. I don't know the reference right now, but it's in the Psalms. But he also is in tune with you to the, to the degree that he can rescue you, that he can actually draw you out and not just deliver you from it, but use that very circumstance, whether again, internal or external, to prepare you, to equip you, to fortify and strengthen you. That's what the word rescue means. It's not just, oh my goodness, make it stop. You know, pull me out. Don't ever let this happen again. It's Lord, be in tune with me and look upon my affliction that you might use it to strengthen me and fortify me and and yes, draw me out that you might use it and use me for something greater. Pray those words to the Lord if you're in that season of affliction or confusion or tension. Pray the word look in this definition and pray the word rescue in that definition. It'll change how you pray. And then he basically kind of restates it in a way. In the next verse, in Psalm 154, it says, Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. It sounds a bit redundant, a bit repetitive, but it's, it's, it's a little different. The word plead literally means to, to wrangle or wrestle with, to grapple with, to, to go to battle with, you know, to kind of get your hands messy. And the idea of the word cause there is, is any kind of strife, any kind of dispute or quarrel. So girls, this could be internal. How many times do we strive with ourselves? How many times do we, quote unquote, grapple with our own issues, with our own thoughts? And look how David is, is talking to God here. He is releasing the reins of grappling over his own life to the Lord. And he's saying, God, you grapple with my issues. You wrestle with my thoughts that that run amok. You go to bat with the things that cause me tension and quarrels and strife and contention. God, plead my cause. It's very personal here. It's not just you know, save the world and bring peace type of thing. It's a my, my cause. You know, you're, you're acquainted. You're seeing inside of my affliction. You're aware of me. You, you draw me out. You rescue me. Ladies, do not overlook the fact that God is personal and individual. Yes, he is corporate. Yes, he is communal. Yes, life is bigger than you and you're a part of a bigger story, but do not get washed away with the idea that you are a number to God. You're not. There is a very personal, intimate request here. And I encourage you to to talk that way to your father and to pray that way. And the idea of redeem in that verse when he says, redeem me, revive me according to your word. I love this. Um, Redeem really is to preserve or release, to ransom or deliver, to redeem. So go to grab, go to wrestling and grapple with my issues and my disputes and anything that causes me strife and preserve me, release me. 
from the consequences of grappling with my own issues. And you do that. How powerful. Y'all all know what the issues are that you tend to go into grappling over in your own strength. I don't know if it's control for you or uh, just relationships. Maybe your family is somewhat falling apart and you're the one that's kind of the glue and you keep everybody together and you're the initiator and the peacemaker and it just stresses you out and it causes tension or strife. Um, I don't know if it's an internal personal battle. Maybe it's a self-image deal and you and yourself are at war in, in your enemies to some level. Um, but I would encourage you to, to talk this way about those things to the Lord and let go and let Him plead your cause. And of course, it just made me think of Lauren Daigle, which we've played multiple times before at Establish Her. And if you have not heard this song, then once again, I would ask you to, to stop listening to this and listen to the song by Lauren Daigle called How Can It Be? In light of Psalm 119 in this section, listen to that, that song. And even if you have heard it, um, listen to it again. And feel free even now if you want to just put this on pause and listen to Lauren Daigle, How Can It Be? So you may have already listened to that song. You may have just finished playing it. But how beautiful is that? You plead my case. You plead my cause. How can it be that the God of all things, the God who sustains all things, the God who makes the waves stop and not just continue to wash over me right now on this beach, the God who creates boundaries and created the clouds in the sky, you plead my cause. How in the world could that be? And we know the answer to that question. It is because of Jesus Christ. It is because of His blood, His life, that the Father can go to bat for our life. It is nothing about you. It is nothing about what you have done or haven't done. It isn't because you've been super good and super religious and therefore the Father's going to hear you and plead your case. It isn't because you've been super bad and you've messed up. The Father isn't going to hear you. Ladies, please understand that everything the Father does for you, every time He looks at you, every time He rescues you, every time He pleads your case and cause and delivers and redeems you, it is because of Jesus Christ, His Son. If you are a Christian and you are indwelt with the living Word of God via the Spirit, that is the why that causes the Father to go to action for you. It is because of Jesus. How beautiful, how humbling, how worth celebrating that Jesus is our covering and He is our guarantee that the Father is going to go into action on our behalf. And then the idea of revive here, still in verse 154 of Psalm 119, is very special. Revive is a word used a multiple of times in the Psalms. I love it. And it's, it's really the same usage every time. And sometimes in, in the scripture you see a word used, but it has different meanings. So in my Bible, it may have different numbers by it, 
that correspond to different definitions in the back. Well, Revive isn't like that. Revive has, just about every single time it shows up, the same definition, the same number, 2421 in the, in the Strong's. And it means this, listen. Revive me means to give me life, to nourish up, repair. It conveys the idea of safety and a flourishing to sustain or keep fully alive. That's what it means to revive me. And so there's two songs here that this this word makes me think of. And sometimes when I read the scripture, a lot of times when I read the scripture, things I read prompts me to remember another verse. And I'll go and I'll read that right then. And I'll flip all over the scripture. But other times it prompts me to hear a song or a message or a worship song or something. And here I would encourage you to go and listen to Shane Bernard, Revive, Revive Me. It's actually called that. I think it's on his CD called The Rocks Will Cry Out. And the second one is Christy Knuckles. Um, And I believe, once again, it's called Revive Me. And they're beautiful songs that just echo David's heartbeat here in Psalm 119. Um, So maybe you can listen to those on your way home from your gathering tonight, but it will just put you into the heavenlies as you think about these words, as you think about the idea that revive me, O Lord, revive me, nourish me, fill me up, repair me, restore me, make me safe according to your word. You see, God's word is a place of safety. David says, revive me according to your word, not according to what you do for me in life necessarily, or according to my paycheck, or according to the job I have, and that's going to be secure and bring me safety, or for the husband I might have or get one day. No. He says, revive me according to what? How? How is God going to revive us? His word. So the word of God the living one, Jesus, and the fellowshipping with him, as well as the written one, brings us nourishment, brings us safety, brings us flourishing. This is not just barely getting through. This is the idea that because of God's word and the fellowship we can have in it, you can go through life flourishing. Even when there's adversaries around every corner, persecutors around every corner. I mean, just listen. Listen to how David talks. He talks about the wicked in verse 155. He talks about the persecutors and the adversaries. They are many. They're pursuing me in 157. Yet I do not turn aside. The treacherous. Ladies, take a look around, man. We are surrounded by adversaries. Maybe they're invisible, but they're in your head. Maybe they're tangible and they're in your life. But regardless of what it is, no matter how surrounded you are by adversaries and persecutors and naysayers and complainers and antagonistic thinkers against God or you, the way you come through that, the way you come 
safely through that and not just barely making it is to stay connected to and revived by the Word of God. Great are His mercies. Revive us according to Your words, Lord. Let that sink in. If you don't feel sustained at the moment, if you don't feel fully nourished, I I just dare you. I challenge you. Open up the scripture. Go to Psalms 119 if you don't know anywhere else to go. Seek him out. Pray this way. Learn from David. See the verbs he's using. And get serious about how you plead with God to plead with you. And watch him do a beautiful thing. Watch him nourish you. He may not remove the adversaries. He may not take away the persecutors. But let me tell you, he will sustain you in the middle of it all. Supernaturally, he will nourish you and fill you up. He will make you safe and give you peace. You know, in the book of John, it talks about peace in a way that the world doesn't give. Jesus gives peace entirely differently. He gives peace because peace is his presence. Ephesians 2.14 says he himself is our peace. He himself is our safety. It isn't your alarm system on your house or the, ha- the amount of money you have in the bank account. Jesus is our safety. He's our security. And when you realize that, you will be revived in life, not just surviving through life. And then now kind of come towards the end here. Um, in verse 140, or sorry, 159, consider... He's talking to the Lord still. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me. There it is again, O Lord. According to your loving kindness. Notice that he does not ask God to revive him based on how David loves his precepts. He opens that verse with, Lord, consider. Think about. Remember. How much I love your word. But when he asks God to revive him, the condition to revive him or the why to revive him is not David's love for the Lord necessarily. What is it? In verse 159, the very end. Revive me. Why? According to your loving kindness. Because of your nature, God. Just because of who you are. Because, once again, of Jesus, the Father revives us. And then we come down to Psalm 119, 160. And if there's ever a summary, it's this. Pretty powerful. The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. 
You know, the idea of some there is very interesting. It's obviously where we get the word summation or summary. But the Hebrew word for some here is the same letter at the beginning of this passage. In most of your Bibles, you should have a Hebrew word and the actual written letter of the alphabet before every one of these eight verse sections in Psalm 119. And right above this one, it's Resh, R-E-S-H. And really, you could look over that and pass it and think it's nothing. But it is something very significant. All of these letters are. Because it is the meaning of some. And some is literally translated the beginning, the entirety, the head. So let me just reread that. The head of your word is truth. The beginning of your word is truth. The entirety of your word is truth. Not conjecture, not opinion, not suggestion, not a possibility to consider to live your life this way. No. All of the scripture from the beginning to the end, the entirety, the head, which is important, we're going to get into that in a second, is truth, ladies. It is truth. People are asking, what is truth today? Seems to be so confusing. It's, it's tolerance, it's personal, it's, you know, whatever you want to make it. No, it's, I'm sorry, it's not. It's God's word. That is truth. That's the plumb line of all authority. God has thoughts on everything. And everything that God thinks about, he has a opinion on. And his opinion on everything is true. So don't you want to acquaint yourself with God's opinion on everything and know the truth? Well, you have it right here on your table. I have it right here in my lap. I have the sum of his word is all truth. You know, it's powerful about Jesus. Throughout the epistles, which are the key five books, I mean, Paul wrote 66% of the New Testament, but the key five books he wrote were the epistles, letters to the churches, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, and Colossians. And in particular, in Ephesians and Colossians, and a couple other times in 1 Corinthians, which also was written by Paul, it calls Jesus the head. It actually uses that phrase. So I want you to write down these passages and y'all look these up, read them together and see how you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can connect these passages to Psalm 119, 160. Okay. Jesus is the head and the head is the truth. The sum of his word, the head of his word is truth, and every one of his ordinances is everlasting. Here's the, here's the scriptures, five of them. Ephesians 1, 22. Ephesians 5, 23. Colossians 1, 18. Colossians 2, 10. 
and 1 Corinthians 11, 3. So I just want y'all to stop. Once again, right here, if you'd like to, press pause and look up those passages in your, in your word, in your scripture. And somebody, all five of you or however many there are, read those out loud. And see if you can pull out a connection between Jesus, the idea of being the head, what you think that means, and Psalm 119, 160. So now, as y'all have probably talked about, the head, here's a couple of thoughts. See, Jesus is the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the head of the church. He is the living word made known through the written word. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as said in the book of John. Psalm 119.160 is an arrow. It's a pointer to Jesus Christ. The sum of the entire Bible, ladies, is Jesus. It's always been about Him, because of Him, for Him, through Him. Jesus Christ is its grand subject. The Bible is summed up, headed up, completed, entirely full of Jesus. Even in the Psalms, even in Leviticus, even in every word and possibility in the Old Testament, every random story that you feel like has no point, much less application, well, guess what? Jesus is in there. And in John 14, it talks about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to make much of Jesus. And as you approach the Scripture, approach it knowing without the Spirit of God, it is a supernatural book, you will not be able to understand it. With the Spirit of God, He will illuminate your eyes, the eyes of your heart, to read the Scripture, get nourished by it, Get revived by it, because in it you will see Jesus in everything you read. Oh, I so pray that about Establish Her. I believe that, that God has called me and raised me up and therefore Establish Her up to make much of Jesus through His Word. It isn't just reading His Word out of duty. It isn't just this transactional, informational, knowledge-based study of the Bible at a conceptual level. Y'all understand this, right? It is a, a personal encounter with the living Word of God. You've heard me say that so many times. To encounter the living Word through the written Word. That is my greatest heart. For me personally, is to have a deeper awareness of in relationship with Jesus because of the scripture and to, to lead you there, to help facilitate that for you. Because you see, life is summed up in Jesus. He is the head of life. He is the head of the church. He is the head of the scripture. He's it. You cannot get over him. You cannot move past him. He is inexhaustible. He is Jesus Christ. And He is truth. There is no other way. There is no other truth outside of Him. He is it. 
and he longs for every single man and woman and boy and girl to come to that realization supernaturally and divinely, maybe through the use of affliction, to come to the place where they know you are the sum, you are truth, you are the way, you are the life. And when I know the truth, the truth, capital T, sets me free. It just makes me want to well up with tears, listening to these waves, thinking about that reality. He is the head of all things. He is the beginning. And that's the very letter of the alphabet that was breathed by God through David to title this eight-verse section, The Beginning, all about Jesus. And the last thought I want to leave you with and have y'all discuss and pray about and talk about and let this voice memo instigate for you is the word everlasting. It says his righteous ordinances are everlasting, not eternal. There is a difference. Everlasting is different than the word eternal. Why? Why do you think those two words are different? Talk about that. Think about the other times in the Bible where it uses the phrase eternal. Go look those up. There's a million. I'm not going to give you a whole long list. Go, go look in the back of your Bible, literally. Look up the word eternal. There will be tons of references by it. Go read those. Okay? Then go look up everlasting. How do those verses differ? What is the definition of both of those words? Because they're different and they're very, very important. <laughs> It's incredibly vital to know the difference between those two. And here, every one of his righteous words, his ordinances, his ways, his testimonies, just put whatever word in there that David does a million times in Psalm 119, they're everlasting. Why is that important? Talk about that. Everlasting has no beginning has no end. Jesus is everlasting. He did not have a start date. He is the start. He is the beginning. Eternal has a beginning and no end. Jesus is not eternal. His word is not eternal. There was never a time at which there wasn't his word because he is the word. He is the beginning. <laughs> it is kind of mind-blowing and really hard to even express this in English. He, his word is everlasting. What does it say in chapter, I think it's John chapter 17, that this is eternal life. Like we get eternal life, right? And then of course, John three sixteen. Why don't we get everlasting life? Why do we get eternal life and not everlasting life? Okay, talk about it. Eternal life has a beginning and no end. Everlasting has no beginning and no end. It always was, it always is, and it always will be. Now read Psalm 119, 160 with that in mind. 
and you can see why the author uses the word everlasting there to describe the word of God, not eternal. I hope y'all are gleaning things as much as I am out of his pages and out of each other and your time together and your prayers and your honesty and the questions that you've raised in your meetings together. Um, I pray that you're learning. I pray that you're growing. I pray that you're encountering Jesus above everything. I love you girls and um, hope to see you all at September 10th at my house to celebrate technically the end of Roots as a first year and uh, we'll talk about what the next year could potentially look like but I'm just thrilled to be on this journey with you and thank you for being flexible for how this one looks this week Um, and I hope your time is rich as I'm sure it already has been.